Now, what's in your mind, Gavin? I asked you to come up here, Scotty, knowing that you'd quit detective work. But I wondered whether you'd go back on the job as a special favor to me. I want you to follow my wife. No, it's not that. We're very happily married. Well, then... I'm afraid some harm may come to her. From whom? Someone dead. Scotty, do you believe that someone out of the past, someone dead, can enter and take possession of a living being? No. If I told you that I believe this has happened to my wife, what would you say? Well, I'd say take her to the nearest psychiatrist or psychologist or neurologist or psycho or maybe just the plain family doctor. I'd have him check on you, too. Then you're of no use to me. I'm sorry I wasted your time. Thanks for coming in, Scotty. Okay. I, uh... I didn't mean to be that rough. No, it sounds idiotic, I know. And you're still the hard-headed Scott, aren't you? Always were. You think I'm making it up? No. I'm not making it up. I wouldn't know how. Hello again and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And before we get to the third movie that we will be discussing of a particularly famous director, um, we will give you some recommendations, as we always do. Ian, would you kindly go first? I, I certainly shall. All right, what do you got? So if you didn't get enough documentary talk from us last week... <laughs> Which, and there was plenty of. There was lots. <laughs> I, I got just a little more for you. Awesome. Uh, and my recommendation this week is the Spielberg documentary that's on uh, HBO. Uh, really awesome to to get some insight from the man himself because Spielberg doesn't do I mean he'll he'll participate in all those EPKs and behind the scenes stuff but he, he hasn't to my knowledge done a commentary sure for any of his films so it's really nice to get some of this anecdotal stuff and some of this the genesis of projects and why he's passionate about what he does it's nice to really hear it from him I mean then he HBO were given unprecedented access I learned all kinds of things that I didn't know about him. I, I mean, I knew about the divorce that happened, um, and of course, you know his his Jewish his Jewish upbringing. And but it was really nice to hear from him and get that pers- to to get that perspective, and for him to talk about his faith and family. And it's just, it's a really great retrospective. It's a, it feels very personal. Uh, I don't feel like there's a lot that's skipped over. I was I was satisfied. There was nothing in it. I was like, oh, I wish we'd spend a bit more time on this or we'd spend a bit more time on that. It's really a satisfying experience, and it's about two and a half hours long, and if I'm honest, I didn't feel a beat of it. I started it pretty late. Yeah, you were saying. I, I think I told you, yeah, I started it pretty late with the intention of finding like a midway point, you know, somewhere around the time that he started making more serious films, probably about the time he made Color Purple. I went, yeah. okay, this will be a pretty good a logical sort of midway point and I'll pick it back up later. No, I just, I stayed up way too late and just blew through the whole thing because it was just, it's it's really solid. It's so nice, as I said, to hear from him himself and to get that kind of insight. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. 
Yeah, you, well, you will really like it's essential viewing i think especially for you i think you will you will really enjoy it yeah well, and so, yeah somebody a director who's who is a canon of work i've, I've actually seen most of would I, I would probably enjoy versus i don't know i can't think of a good example now but you know somebody who whose films i like but who i haven't probably scratched the surface of what they've actually made i don't know why i, I, I would go to, to steven soderbergh or something like that yeah you know I mean? yeah like, probably I, like, great I like example. his movies yeah but, but I, I haven't seen there's a lot of indie shit he made that i have not and I, and I wouldn't necessarily be that interested in, in kind of retrospectively looking at his career in the same way sure. that you would look at somebody like Spielberg's. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that was me this week. What do you have? So I decided to, uh, in sort of the realm of, uh, I'll just, in the realm of vertigo and, and obsession, um, I went I wanted to pick a film that sort of dealt with obsession in a, in a in a different way and a movie that I'd, I'd only ever seen once and it, for whatever reason I just hadn't seen it since it basically it came out and letting about 16 17 years pass and revisiting um Robin Williams in one hour photo um which again is a movie I only ever seen once and I remember liking it and um and part of it too was when I stumbled upon it again I was like who was Mark Romanek and and what has he done? And he's primarily uh, um, directs music videos, um, which is great. I'm sure he makes a great living doing that. But uh, if you haven't seen One Hour Photo, um, Robin Williams plays uh, Cy, who was the the photo tech expert at like a a Walmart Target kind of store, um, and has over the years kind of been obsessing over this particular family that comes in and, and develop, develops their photos there and. Yeah, that's right. There's the very creepy. He always keeps one for himself. He does a set of their photos, and yes, right. and on his wall, he's got basically their life story told through photos, uh, covering almost completely covering a wall in his in his in his apartment, um, and through a series of events that, while this movie's been out for for a long time, it, it is relatively obscure, and so I don't want to give away too much that maybe you wouldn't see in the trailer. But essentially, Robin Williams um, finds himself becoming more directly involved with the family. It's it's a husband and wife and their son. And um, there are some, some really tense moments um, between uh, Robin Williams and uh, the son and the father. Um, and it's just this – it's – this kind of this poor guy who who goes in a little too deep. I say poor. I mean, he is obsessive about this family. But, um, and the other reason I wanted to bring it up too is is I you know, Robin Williams is known for his comedic roles, and and I think I I think I prefer his dramatic stuff honestly. If I if I if I really look at it, and you know this, I think this and Insomnia were in the same year. They, yeah, they were. They were both and, 2002. Yeah, and. I I unfortunately feel like I hear these movies get either get shit on or like oh yeah those were okay, but. These both movies are really good, and he is really good in them. I mean, yeah, it's a hell of a one-two punch. Yeah, and, and, um, and who who could have ever seen? We could have seen. We've seen Robin Williams before this do dramatic stuff, but who could have anticipated that he would double down well, two villainous roles in the way? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, one one sympathetic, I would say, in, in in this to an extent, and one not so much in uh, in, in Insomnia. Um, but yeah, if you're looking for you know, a good, it's, it's only like 93 minutes. So it's not, I mean, it's not that long. Um, and you know, watching Robin Williams, you know, do his, his thing, man, it's, it's, it's really good. He's really good in it. And, uh, Connie Nielsen is the, the, the mom and Gary Cole is in, I forgot that he's the manager of, of the place he works at. I'm um, not a huge cast, but 
man, it's uh, oh, Clark Gregg is in it. Surprisingly, Clark Gregg is in the movie as like a, a side detective. Um, but uh, well, the the kid I don't know the kid's name, but the kid is really good in it as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good it child is. performance. Yeah. Um. So you know, check it out. Seriously, I don't. I I happen to own a really old DVD copy of it, so I don't know. But I'm sure it's not obscure, so I'm sure you can find it on Prime or iTunes to rent yeah, it. It's it's um, in my digital life. It was on sale. Yeah, there you go. Digitally, a few weeks. Uh, well, I should, about a month ago. Sure. Or so and I I picked that up. But it's it's you know I mean I always feel like I want to cycle through and I want to rewatch Seven or or the game or the Usual Suspects. I want to rewatch these ones that I really really like. But it was really fun to go back and rewatch something that I hadn't touched in a long time and and found myself totally compelled through the whole thing. So that is definitely uh, my it's not only my recommendation this week, but it is a, uh, I felt like a really good tie into to at least the theme of the movie we're talking about today, and that is our third Hitchcock film. Vertigo. Um, so directed by uh, Hitchcock, of course. Written. Yeah, there's again, it's another screenplay that has yeah. some contentious opinions I, about who wrote what. I believe, I believe, credited it is Samuel A. Taylor and Alec Koppel. And it seems like, was it Taylor who did a bulk of the work, or the Re- bulk of the rewriting? Yeah, that seemed to be yeah um, the, and, the general consensus, and they're not regular. Hitchcock collaborators at all? No, no, they weren't. Uh, uh, Taylor had would go on to write Topaz, and I believe Copel did some uncredited work on To Catch a Thief. Okay, and then there's a third writer as well. Yes, and there's, I that's Maxwell also good Anderson who had written The Wrong Man. Yes, and now, and Maxwell Anderson is more of a playwright um, versus a, a screenwriter, which doesn't sound like a big difference, but it can be the way in which you you write everything. Um, now this is based off of a French ni- a French novel uh, translated as From Among the Dead, and calling back to an episode uh, from two weeks ago um, when we did uh, The Wages of Fear. Uh, so Hitchcock wanted to nab um, The Wages of Fear to to direct that. And, well, and also uh, La Diabolique. Oh, sorry, that, that, that that that's right. Yeah. Not Wages of Fear. Yeah. La Diabolique. You're right. Um, uh, but um, Clouseau was able to get it before Hitchcock did, and uh, From Among the Dead was a script that Clouseau wanted to do, but Hitchcock got it, and so there we go. Yeah, a little There's bit a of tit for tat. Full circle, uh, Hitchcock got to make this movie. Um, the cast, you know what, the, is, as expansive as this movie is, I, I really, th- this movie has four four characters, four actors that I really think are of it's, note. It's one of his smaller Sort of almost more intimate cast, which is a an interesting juxtaposition considering how big the film is. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, this is starring obviously starring Jimmy Stewart as John Scotty Ferguson, Kim Novak, who is my uh, old school actress crush, man, big time. Um, that she was his most beautiful leading lady, she hands is, down. She is great. She looks and she, and two of the most iconic outfits ever. Um, in this movie, um, she plays both Madeline uh, Elster and Judy Barton. Well, we'll kind of talk more about that as we go along. Um, Barbara Belgetti's as maybe the, one of the more sad characters in a film uh, plays Midge, and then uh, Tom Helmore plays uh, Gavin Elster. So I, I had a couple other names. I've got uh, Ellen oh. Corby, who plays the the manager of the McKittrick Hotel. Yeah. And then uh, Constantine Shane, who was uh, Pop Libel, who's the Argosy bookstore owner. Yeah. That kind of sets him. Helps set him on the path. I had those. I had those as well, but I, they're just in it for like those. They're not in it much. That no, was, they they have a scene each. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So again, we talk about the other films from these directors who are in the book. We've lots. 
lots. I, I'm not going to say them all again. If you want to hear uh, the very first Hitchcock we did, which was um, Strangers on a Train, you can hear every single one of his movies in the book. I'm not going to repeat it because I don't want to. Um, so accolades. Uh, it is uh, currently now. Actually, this is I love this. So on the original 1997 AFI Top 100 list, it was ranked number 61. When they re-ranked the movies in 2007, it jumped all the way to nine. That is a huge leap. Um, and I want to say like Sight and Sound put it at like number one. Like they think it's the number one movie of all time. Of all time. Yeah. No, it dethroned. Citizen Kane, Kane after years of Citizen Kane sitting there and we'll continue with the accolades but I I do really want to talk about the reevaluation yeah, that I'm, happened I, with Vertigo. Yep, yep, I I'm totally fine with that. Um so it only had two Academy Award nominations uh for sound uh which it lost to South Pacific and production design which it lost to uh Gigi. I can uh, sound makes more sense. I think m- musicals tend to 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 win those a lot because of the mixing of the of the the music the singing and the actual just sound set sound um i haven't seen Gigi, so i don't know i know it's kind of a spectacle musical so that might not totally surprise well, me and it wasn't it the best picture winner it, it was that year yeah, yeah it kind of it didn't well I, I, it, yeah it took quite a few it did yeah it was yeah. it was the big winner the big spectacle musical winner that year yeah. it also took the dga as well which of course which hitch was nominated yeah. for but but lost um, and the only other one I had, which was uh, which is my favorite question, apparently, of the whole goddamn podcast, which is, Ian, was this film inducted into the National Film Registry? In the first year, 1989. Bada boom! All right. So there you go. Um, uh, currently, we'll see if our numbers match. I have it as sitting at number 75 on the IMDb 250. So it jumped one. So oh. when I took my note, I took my notes May 20th. And so at that point, it was number 76. Okay, we are going to have to, like, I, we're going to have to write down the days that we write, that we do our notes, just because that's, that's, I find that fascinating. Yeah. Um, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a 96 critical and a 93 audience, um, which, I mean, to me sounds right. Uh, highly, highly recommended, highly but the, beloved. But the, that's modern day numbers. Now, if Rotten Tomato had been around back in the late fifties, when this film came out, I'm sure those numbers would have been much lower. It was mixed. Yeah, it, it was, was. It was, was fairly mixed critical reaction. Yeah. So, Ian, did you uh, did you have any um, any critical reviews or anything about this that you wanted to to you read? Know, I keep striking out with the uh, the critical reviews because I keep finding ones, especially from this period, which are more summations. Sure. Than they have anything that's really awesome and quotable. They also I, another sort of act. While we're speaking of that another accolade, yeah. The the Village Voice in '99 called it the third best film of the century, after uh, the Jean Renoir film Rules of the Game and Citizen Kane being number one. So just to show you yeah. how well another another sort of feather in its cap about how well regarded it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also I cinematography wise, there's a a film festival in Barcelona. And in 1960, uh, they gave Robert Burke's best cinematography in a foreign film, which would be another accolade that yeah. I would want to highlight. Yeah. yeah. Um. So th- I, what I have is not. You're right. What I have is not a current review. Um. But it leads into a lot of what I think is is interesting about this movie. And so this is from this is Ebert. Um. And what he wrote about it in um October of '96. And he opens with one of the lines from the movies. Did he train you? Did he rehearse you? Did he, t- did he tell you what to do and what to say? And then it goes on to say this. 
This cry from a wounded heart comes at the end of Alfred Hitchcock's vertigo, and by the time it comes, we are completely in sympathy. A man has fallen in love with a woman who does not exist, and now he cries out harshly against the real woman who impersonated her. But there is so much more to it than that. The real woman has fallen in love with him. In tricking him, she tricked herself, and the man, by preferring his dream to the woman standing before him, has lost both. Then, there is another level, beneath all of the others. Alfred Hitchcock was known as the most controlling of directors, particularly when it came to women. The female characters in his films reflected the same qualities over and over again. They were blonde, they were icy and remote, they were imprisoned in costumes that subtly combined fashion with fetishism. They mesmerized the men, who often had physical or psychological handicaps. Sooner or later, every Hitchcock woman was humiliated. And so I don't disagree with that. And I think that's kind of a, an interesting segue into talking about this movie. And again, if you if you haven't seen Vertigo, essentially we follow Scotty, who is uh, Jimmy Stewart, um, who at the very beginning of the film has suffered a traumatic event uh, involving chasing a suspect on, on the rooftops. And it's one of my favorite openings. It's a great, in oh, a, it's a great a hard open. Yeah. You're just in it. You're just dropped in. Um, and he, in the during the chase, he slips. He is dangling from like the gutters of a building, and uh, not just the dangling, but watching his partner fall off of the building and and die in front of him. He develops uh, or acrophobia, a fear of, of heights, and so that's what he has. That's what he's got to deal with. And because of it, he has basically left the force. I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm gonna retire. And, and there you go. And um, out of the blue, he is. Um, found by kind of an old college buddy, Gavin, who comes and basically wants him to tail his wife because he believes that she is going to kill herself because she is obsessed with this um, Carlotta character. He tails her. He follows her around. In the doing so, becomes obsessed with her. Uh, she does try to, and you can't see the air quotes here, she does try to kill herself by jumping into the uh, San Francisco Bay, I believe is what that is. And um, saves her, and I believe kind of in this moment is when they start to really actually have affection for each other. But then the movie takes its turn where um, after going out to this, um, I don't want to say monastery, what, what is that? It's thing? like a small mission town. Yeah, mission. Thank you. That's a, yeah, Down that's... Southern California. Yes. Um, he believes, and I'm, I'm jumping big plot points here because I, I just want to talk about the specifics, but he... He basically witnesses her death as she falls off of the top of this tower uh, because his vertigo has kept him from going up. There's this great, and we'll talk, hopefully we'll talk about it, the vertigo effect of that shot, which is fantastic. Well, I mean, you, you can't not. I know. So he's basically been cleared of all wrongdoing. Um, you know, it was partially suspected that he might have had something to do with it, but he doesn't. And in the aftermath, he runs into a woman that looks suspiciously a lot like her. Um, and we find out that, hey, it actually is. And then he finds out that it is. And ultimately and unfortunately, the movie ends with the the real woman, Judy, who was pretending to be Gavin's wife, unfortunately falling out of the same the same window and, and dying on the same roof. I glossed over a fuckload, but I really just wanted to get out the the the, the basic plot. If you haven't seen this movie, so now we can sort of talk details because that's this this is a movie about details and i think it, it it it's more interesting to talk about the specifics than the, the general plot so hitchcock and his obsession with women where does that where does that take you when i bring that up 
Well, it, it doesn't exactly paint the best portrait of Hitch, does it? I mean, he's notorious for his sort of mistreatment of women on set and, yeah. and very much talking down to them and, and using them as tools. And I, I think it's left something of a sad legacy, but when you look at the, the great films where you consider what he put people in his life through in order to get them made yeah i think there's a there's a sort of the flip side of that coin is there there are sad stories behind them yeah and 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 hitch's sort of general disregard really for just other people in general yes that's fair you know and part of me too is is that and i i'm not going to say that i'm a i'm a hitch expert you know i've watched a lot of his movies and i've done a fair amount of research and, I, and I've heard this over and over again, you know, how he treated Janet Lee during Psycho and Tippi Hedren during The Birds and, 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 and all of that. But, you know, in everything that I've read about this, about Vertigo, I don't really hear that Kim Novak was mistreated. I mean, and maybe she was. And maybe, again, that's not me doing enough research, but I, I didn't get that vibe. Same thing with North by Northwest. When I, because, I mean. Um, yeah, Ava Marie Sant had nothing but. She, she was the one who she like hosted the documentary on the the DVD. Like she only had really great things to say, and and that's and again, I'm not. I I think Hitch was obsessed with his women. I I absolutely believe that. Now, to the extent to which he treated them, I have no idea. We weren't there, and it's so far gone now that it's going to be a case of he said he said she said. But and and where's the line between? abusing somebody and and, directing and, them. and and yes just making somebody suffer a little bit for their art yeah yeah I, I I hear you um but I just found that Ebert quote really interesting because not because of because of how Scotty's obsession with with Madeline slash Judy is such a direct correlation to hitch and his obsession with his leading blonde ladies it's 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 right there. You know, and and I just find that really, I just find that really interesting. So I figured I'd I'd I'd, I'd share that. No, no, it's a it's a great it's a great way to start the episode. I think. Now to flip this entirely to something totally different, how the fuck does Scotty get off the building? Yeah, yeah. There's a like most Hitch films. Is, there's a, there's a couple of pretty big leaps in, in logic. I mean, I because the second the second we go away from that and he's basically just sitting in Midge's apartment, I was like, no. Ex- explain, please. <laughs> no, I I agree that, but that's that's as I said, that's Hitch films in general. They, I mean, they look talk at, about him wearing the the corset, you know. Oh, and making Be- jokes about how many guys well, wear corsets. Well, that, and, but also like that that like it's for his. Is that because he was hanging? You think for like for a really long time? Like, why does he have the corset? Probably that would be my. I mean, I I I, was, I, I hope that's what it was because it's just like do you think his, his spine is just so jacked because. He was dangling for you know hours. Fifteen. Well, that's that's the thing too. Is how long was he there? Oh, uh, yeah. That's 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 interesting. Okay, I'll say something nice now after your nitpick. This okay. is Hitch's most beautiful film, hands down. Boy, I don't think I would argue that. Yeah, it is. It's it's him. It feels like it feels like him just showing off. Look at all the colors I know and yeah. all the tools in my. Pay. It is him at his height. Yeah. This is this is. This is this is Hitch at the beginning of the run of three that we have talked about yes. so many times. Yes, probably this, the, the greatest run of three films in film history. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. Um, for those of you who who either don't know or don't remember, it's it's this Vertigo, then North by Northwest, and then Psycho. Psycho. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's so funny because I uh, I think it was for North by Northwest. My 
my unsung hero was um, Saul Bass for the the uh, the opening title credits. I did not like these the, the opening titles of this movie. Well, they're very. They are the first use of computer generated images in a film, or yeah. or, or something that was was uh, sort of enabled by computer graphics, and so they're they're really they're a little primitive. Well, it wasn't even it wasn't even it wasn't the quality of of the effects. It just it. I I just I I I love how North by Northwest opens. I I love how Psycho opens. This one just feels a little, eh. It's it's a stepping stone. But in the same way, I, I immediately following that in my notes though, I wrote, "God, Bernard Herrmann is fucking amazing." Oh yeah, it's an incredible score. It yeah, it's this, this film has so much going for it. I know yeah. you're you're probably confused or disappointed that my top five Hitch films remains unchanged. Yeah, I, I am. I'm bummed. I, I was surprised as well, because this is the first time I've seen it all the way through. I've seen large chunks of it, but never the whole thing end to end. And I was a little surprised when I got to the end of it. I was like, no, I don't think I don't think this cracks my five. My ten, definitely. Sure. Without question, it's in the top ten Hitches. And, and, and when you told me that, I kind of I was thinking about it. And, and when I remember you kind of describing Foreign Correspondent and, and kind of your relation to it and what it was about... There's such a personal connection to it that I'm not I'm not totally surprised. I'm bummed because I would have liked to like have a definitive a thousand and one by one top five Hitchcock movies, but Yeah, and, and it's okay. And no, you're absolutely right. If I didn't have the personal feelings that I have towards Foreign Correspondent, I could almost guarantee you Vertigo would come in at, at number five. Sure. Yeah. 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 yeah it's all good. Behind uh, North by Northwest, Psycho, Rope and, and Rear Window were my was my top five. Yeah, yeah. So, you want to talk about Midge a little bit? Yeah. She's, uh, she's kind of a creep. Kind of a lovable creep. Well, it's so... They're relate. Like, I... Besides one moment, which I'll get to in a second, I feel bad for her. Yeah, there is a there is a melancholy about her. You know, it's, her. it's his, like, the brashness in which, in which Scotty asks, Are you going to ever get married, Midge? And she's like, well, I, I wanted to once before. Oh, yeah, we were engaged. Like, come on, dude. Don't. But, and I, but he also made makes mention that she was the one that also broke it off. Yeah, but I I get that. I mean, and, and you know, part of this is backstory we don't hear. But I think she broke it off because she knew that he wasn't into it. He, I think she knew that he was not he was not going to be happy with at being husband and wife with her. You know, and obviously somehow there's a friendship there, but. There, there's so much kind of behind those two that I find it really, and clearly she does love him, which is weird. That's the tough thing too is she is so in love with him, but, but also can't be with him. It, yeah, it's such, it's such a such a tough, interesting relationship that they well, have, and it makes for for great casting and juxtaposition against Jimmy Stewart's character. I mean, it's the first type of of character like this that Jimmy Stewart had played. He was usually the all American good guy, the hero, the the or the underdog, the guy that you. Have no choice but to root for. Yeah. So this is a, this is him stepping outside of his wheelhouse a little bit, which I really appreciate. And it's a, it's also a very, it's a very intense, very very good internalized performance. A lot of a lot of the stuff that he, he doesn't say. A lot of the stuff that he internalizes rather than actually speaking. Do, do, he does a lot. Yeah. With. I mean, he's got he's got loads of dialogue, and obviously he's the main character. Yeah. But the more important moments in this movie for me is are are the are the quieter moments. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a, a a stillness with James Stewart, which I I don't think 
stillness isn't really talked about or appreciated enough in films, but you can do so much with just absolute stillness and absolute silence. Yeah. That is, is definitely undervalued, and it's he, he does a lot in this film. I agree. I mean, he's got a lot to do, but he also does a lot. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I, I think the, the, the one kind of, you know, the moment of Midge where we go, did you really need to do that? But it also, it, it's obviously when, when she basically paints herself as Carlotta Valdez. Yeah, that's well, that's why I called her the, the lovable creep. Yeah, it's but it's so, like, it's funny because it's, it's messed up. And you get his reaction of, no, no I am I gotta go. I, yeah, yeah, it's the right reaction. It is, but it's also, I don't, as messed up as it is, I, I kind of see why she did it. And I don't think it. I mean, I don't think it was ever meant to be endearing. I think she was totally trying to, to to get at him. But I don't. I think. I think she meant it to be funny, and it just nope. Yeah. Not at. Not at all. And but then. But then, like the way she kind of beats herself up after he's gone, it just shows you that she's she's desperate for something that she's not getting. It's. I. I think I wrote down in my notes. I. That's. It's the best character beat in the whole movie. It's yeah, it's, it's good. It's my favorite character beat. Yeah. What do we talk about next, man? Uh well, Kim Novak. Oh yeah. I mean, if she's your silver, silver, uh, silver age of Hollywood, you know. Yeah. Crush. She is. She absolutely is. You want to elaborate? I, you know, when it's you see her in that green dress, man. You see her. I, I wrote. Look, that she stands out, and like in a sea of red, there's this green, and she just pops right out and well the the other one for me is in the in the florist and that's yeah. that's where i took the note oh this is hitchcock just showing off yes yeah the gray that stands out in all the other the, the colors and, and and she really kim novak hated that that pantsuit oh it's not very flattering well i think i think it is actually i i just i think she didn't like the way that it, it, it fit on her but i i thought it show i thought it, it showed her curves nicely i thought i thought she i thought well, she I, looked I mean as far as the, the the color palette of it i think oh no, and that's that's mostly why she didn't like it yeah um which and i don't i don't the color of it doesn't bother me and of course we know i mean later we know that hitch it, knew he was going to shoot it in that floral scene and 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 it just it stands out so well um and and you know Unfortunately, I, I feel like we talk about how beautiful Kim Novak is in the movie, but she does such a great performance in it of putting this kind of affectation as as the fake, um, as the fake wife, as the fake Madeline. That when we when we see her later as as Judy, and she's got more of what she what she sounds like in real life, you just because she's so believable with that. I don't know how to describe it. That very af, the affectated you know, proper sounding voice that she has as Madeline. And then she drops it. Now she's sort of the, the more streetwise modern kind of slang tone, Judy Kim, Kim Novak is doing a lot in this movie. And, and I, I really don't think her performance gets enough credit. Well, she has a, she has a great burden of, we are in this movie as Jimmy Stewart. I mean, he is, we're on the journey with him. And so she has the burden of having to make, him and therefore us fall in love with her not once but twice. Yeah, very true. Which is, uh, I mean, that's, that's tough. You yeah. know, because you, you did all this character building as quote-unquote Madeline, and then now you've got to do it again as Judy. It's 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 a big ask. I mean, Hitch really asked a lot of her yeah. performance-wise from well, this. And, and, and I mean, luckily for her, she was not the original choice. 
That's right. It was um, Vera Miles. It was Vera I Miles. Yes, yeah. and who? I mean, Vera Miles was pregnant. Yeah. What, and, what are you um, gonna do? Yeah, and then so and so Kim Nav- Kim Novak came in, and um, I mean, I'm sure Vera Miles would have done fine in it. You know, obviously he worked with her again um, in Psycho, uh, different role, but you know, um, but oh God, yeah, I it's like now it's one of those things where I I could possibly see somebody else as, as Jimmy Stewart in it, but I cannot I cannot see anybody but kim novak oh, in that no, role and i i wouldn't want to and I, I really hope to god there's somebody doesn't gus van sant this and try to do a shot for shot remake of it don't please don't touch this movie no. please please don't but there there have been plenty of, of very loving homages to it yes. i mean that's, i think i've said this before if there's no if there's no hitchcock and more specifically if there's no vertigo there's no brian de palma yeah which i know he has had a career which has been even less consistent than Hitch is. Yeah. But De Palma's highs are so very, very high. Yeah. And you just recently, or no, I shouldn't say recently, but within the last 12 months, I believe, you saw Blow Up, right? I saw Blow Out. Blow Out, excuse me. Yes. Yes. Well, I know that's a deliberate reference to, yes. Yes. But, yeah. Yeah. The whole reason he named it that. Yeah. No, Um, I did. Yeah. Yeah. And it's... It's good. I, I think it's one of John Travolta's best. It's got one of those really... um. The ending I find controversial, not because of what it what it is, but whether or not I, I appreciate it for what it is, or if I find it cheesy in its way. But uh, we're not talking about that. But no. but uh, the ending is really interesting yeah. of that movie. But he, De Palma, turned around and he made Film Obsession, which I did mean to watch to go along with this. It and was just the one have... I wanted to watch yeah, too. I, but I just I, couldn't find the time. Yeah. Well, it was not. I couldn't find the time. I couldn't. It wasn't as readily accessible. And and I. With 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 other movies that seem similar in tone, I was it's just easier to find something else. Well, and there's also Body Double as well, which he made in '84, which kind of takes elements of Vertigo and elements of of Rear Window as well, and tries to combine them into a sort of steamy noir yeah. sort of thing. Which is uh, you kind of where Hitchcock goes with this. I'm sure Hitch's films would have been far more steamy without. You know the Catholic League of Decency and the the censorship board breathing down his neck. Well, that it's so funny how it's not it's not too sexual at all, but the implications of 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 all of the sexual overtones when she wakes up in his apartment, there is so much going on, man. You see her dress hanging, which means a she's naked, but b he had to disrobe her, so he he's clearly seen her naked. That's already happened. And the fact that she doesn't leave, it, it's like, okay, what's what's going on? They have the little handhold as they both go to reach for they, something. I forget. I feel dumb. That I don't remember. What the, but they both reach for something and they the hands touch. And that scene is it, – it's I don't find it as 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 um, as seductive as the back and forth between um, Cary Grant. Oh, yeah, and, it's not yeah. – bla- I was going to say it's not as blatant as North no, by Northwest. No, but it's, it's, it's still there, man. It's yeah. it's Potent, yeah, palpable. Yeah. You could cut that thing with a knife. Yes, you definitely can. Um, so then, can I? Okay, so now I want to talk about a. I, I don't find many nitpicks with this movie, um, but I have one, and it's definitely like a, if I could have changed one thing about this movie, it would have been this. I would have cut her letter. Funny you say that. Uh, Hitch did cut it. Yeah, and the studio. Without telling him, put it back. Yeah. Which, I agree. I, I think it should have come out. Oh. I think it gives the game away it too does. quickly. It does. And it's funny. I mean, I know what I was reading when I was reading 
what I could find of some of the critical arguments against this film was that the conclusion of the film kind of comes about a two-thirds of the way through, and then you still have, like, another 40 minutes of movie to go. Yeah. Which yeah. I know some people had trouble. I, I do think it is a little over long, and some things... It is that a bit we, long. Some things that we spend more time on than we should, say, some of the tailing could yes. go to develop, especially the villain of the piece more, Gavin. Yeah. There's not a lot of development, and we... There isn't enough suspicion cast on him. Which, you know, it's funny. I don't I don't mind that. I, I'm, I'm okay with that. And I like that he's out. I mean, I like that we get basically two scenes of him in the office. Him at the that awkward tribunal, which doesn't seem like a legit place where you'd hold any kind of official whatever the hell that is. Um, but we see him there, and that's it. Yep. He, he's gone. And I... I, I like it more. It's like after you're after the movie's done, I like it so much more because you just realize, man, he just he was up and out. He he did exactly what he told he was going to do. I'm gonna I'm and, gonna leave for and for all intents and purposes, he got away with it. Yeah, for all we know. I mean, they they did. Do you want to talk about that ending? They did make him shoot a sort of coda of sorts where uh, Scotty is in the apartment with Midge and they're listening. Well, I think she's listening on the radio to them detailing him being trailed across Europe and that they're catching up with him. And then when, when Scotty comes in, she turns it off. So as not to kind of, you know, reignite it. For yeah, him. exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then they just share a drink and then that's the end of the movie. Yeah. I, a little, I bit, a little bit too neat of a bow. I like yeah. the ambiguity of him kind of getting away with it. Me too. But there's not, for me, there's not enough. It's a real hard left turn. Which, which part? Finding out that, he did the whole bait and switch and that wasn't really Madeline. Yeah. It, know, yeah, that, it is. That he was, that, you know, Jimmy Stewart fell in love with it. There was a fake wife. I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of a leap for me because of how quickly it comes and how there's, there's nothing that even really hints at it. It just, it happens. Well, and it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of just being willing to buy, I guess that, that, that everything that there has been enough time and that it has been well planned out. I mean, we have to we have to believe that Gavin heard about Scotty's fall, heard about somehow heard about his 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 vertigo, planned this whole I mean I mean he's had to have wanted to off his wife for a while, which sounds awful to say out loud, but that 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 has to have been a thought that he's had. To, for for the money or for whatever to actually get rid of her both, who knows? And then to to plan this thing around uh, Carlotta Valdez and his wife be kind of taking on her spirit, if you will, hauling a dead corpse up to the top, knowing that he wouldn't be able to follow uh, the fake Madeline up there. There, there's a lot of of hoping that all of this goes to plan. Yeah, there's a little too much. This, and this is my my main argument. With there's a little too much suspension of disbelief that is necessary. And I, you know me, I don't need things spoon fed to me. Less is always more for me. But there's yeah. a few more dots that, as an audience member, you should have to connect. I don't disagree with. I, I think you know. What I mean, I think Hitch makes us do a little more work ourselves than is necessary for a film of this type. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not Memento. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I. It's funny. It's one, and again, it's one of those things where if the letter, because and I'm trying to remember when she's writing the letter, we see that we kind of see the reenactment in her head, right? Yeah, we see we get the flashbacks. Yeah, and all of it is so, it's so unnecessary. Like, and I don't, I don't even mind 
like I like again, if I would have done something, like I don't mind her sitting down to write something and have us go, okay, what is she writing? And then to look at it, to rip it up, and to go, oh wait, is wait, so is is it her? And then but to leave it like leave it there. Yeah. Because that, that, that's, that, that's ca- perfect. that casts suspicion. That ca- that makes us go, whoa. Okay, what's going on? And then and, and then eventually we 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 can figure it out. And I it's one of those things too where I think Mel- the one part Melissa didn't like was that it was the necklace I gave her away, which seems really careless. You know, and not that she didn't keep it because she also kept the dress. But it, it seems like she's been so careful now she's gonna wear that necklace. It's almost like they don't imply that she wants to get figured out, but that's kind of in order to justify that scene. That's where you as an as an audience member almost have to go with it. Yeah. And I'm that whole sequence of him making her and shaping her. Oh, cha- God. It's 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 creepy. It's a little hard to watch. It my, is. My problem with it is I think it works more if he's onto her earlier and he is trying to force the lie out of her. He is oh. doing this with far more malicious intent than it's it's not I think it's more effective if it's not a form of therapy for him and it's a form of I'm going to get this out of you and look what I'm going to do in order to get that. I don't care. I will go to any length. I'm going to be very degrading, but you are going to reveal this lie to me. But see, if but then if we go that way, I think it makes the turn of taking her to the mission at the end it, it then then that, that I find that less impactful. Oh no, you you would you would have to do a different ending. Okay, so okay, okay, yeah. So and that's why I think I like I think it's so much – I think it's so much – So it says a lot more about their characters if it goes the way it did where he can't get over this dead woman. And so he's going to – he is going to shape this woman to, to look like her. And she actually loves him enough to go along with it. And, and it is yeah, one of those there's, – There's a sadness and it's it's really uncomfortable to watch. It, it is. There are, there are a few things in – and again, I haven't seen his later films. I know he made a couple of R-rated films later in his career, but it's – it's kind of the, it's one of the hardest things to watch in any hitch film. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of oh it turns the stomach a little bit you know and and obviously there there'd be no end of the movie with what I'm about to say but it it raised the question it's like why is it why do we make it so hard to just tell somebody the truth you know and because granted I'm sure I, I'm I'm sure Judy feels ashamed and and like wants to just just to tell him yeah you're right this is who it, this is who I am you're right you're right you 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 spotted me and I'm I'm that person and instead she goes through all of this to somehow try and keep him and then of course the other question is well what happens if he doesn't see that necklace like wh- how does that how does that relationship go yeah how it's, how much further does the rabbit hole go then yeah, yeah I how mean, long is this going to continue is she going to allow him to believe this lie his entire life well because I mean clearly there's a moment where before he sees the necklace where it looks like they've actually reached some kind of amicable it's like do you want to go to this place and her yeah that sounds good and she's getting ready and it seems very casual very much like this is the norm. And it's only seeing the necklace like, that that makes him want to drive out to the mission and confront her, but yeah, it's it's, and that oh my god, everything forcing her up the stairs and the end of it gets really intense. Yeah. I and it's the most and I it kind of goes back to, it's the most in a way maniacal I've ever seen Jimmy Stewart. It's also it's also Hitch being very mean spirited. I mean, did they both have to die? I, I did ask myself that question, is is this ending necessary? Yeah. Should it not have been 
I don't want to put a happy ending on the thing. Yeah. But should it not have been... He gets over his acrophobia. Maybe she goes and she steps back and he's able to catch her. And he, you know, he's looking over the edge. He's looking at her. Maybe that reignites the acrophobia. You know what I mean? I think that that would have been something kind of interesting. I mean, does she need to die at the end? Was what I just kept... Which is probably what stops this film... One of maybe two or three points that stops this film from cracking my hitch top five. Okay. There's just there's some there's some very odd choices considering what Hitch had done up to this point. Yeah, you know it's so funny now that you kind of mention it. Does she have to die? I I I think that she does in the realm of the movie, but not the way that I I guess like one thing I don't like is that it's like the random nun walking up the stairs. Yeah, and it's over so quickly. Yeah, and we're not really allowed any time to process. And it. in a way, just because we've already talked about the Clouseau reference to Hitchcock, it it, it, it now that I'm thinking about Wages of Fear. And the kind of the haphazard way that that movie ends, I think I would have preferred. Like, I think her dying is is right for the for the movie, but something where it's like he's he's still trying to grab her, and as she's like, I, I wanted more of like a because she falls basically because she hears something, and 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 it, and it seems really like wait what, but if there was more of like a he's he's holding onto her so tight and she's struggling so much that when he lets go. She goes, and it's like more, it's more actively his fault. Yes, yes, yes. Because now he's now, because in a way, it's like the burden he brought her up there. But it's like it's almost he's almost relieved of the burden of her death because it wasn't quite his fault. Well, he's trying to give us a, a happy ending for one character, not for the other, and to to have the irony between them. Yeah, which it's not really earned, if I'm honest. Not, not in that way. It, it's, it's Hitch at his most wanting to have his cake and eating it too. Yeah, I could, I could see that. But it, it's, and, and again, and, and to kind of call back the wages of fear, it's not like the, for me at least, the ending doesn't ruin how we got there. And I agree that, that some of the tailing sections are way too long. Um, and also, what a terrible tailor. Oh, yeah. How He's did you just not, awful. Yeah, how did you not see this guy in my I off? mean, that's not good. But in those tailing sequences, we do get a wonderful use of the city of San Francisco. Yep. And I think it set the bar for how that city should be shot. Obviously, it was I, I mean, I think well, I mean, I, Bullet was obviously a famous one that was made there as well as Dirty. There's been some, yep. I mean, I think I think it wasn't until Fincher's Zodiac that somebody topped the way San Francisco looks on film. That's fair. Um, I, apparently, uh, talking about it, uh, when we, we talked about Strangers on a Train, he was doing press. For that, and it was while doing press for *Strangers on a Train* that he kind of explored San Francisco and knew that he wanted to, to do a movie here, and basically adapted *Vertigo* to be done in San Francisco. So, um, it's tying back to another episode that we'd done on thousand and one by one*. So, so what else, my friend? Well, I wanted to talk about the the, the way this film has been reevaluated. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I I agree with there's this this British film critic uh, Tim excuse me Tom Schoen. You know, this film, as we said, it received mixed praise in 58 when it came out. Uh, So this guy, Tom Schoen, he wrote a book called Blockbuster in in 2004, and he calls for a much more measured response on its reevaluation, pretty much, and and he blames Sight and Sound, that list. Yeah. You know, because it shot straight to the top of that, and so now people are like, well, well, why? He called it the ultimate critics' film due to its dreamlike qualities and because it's got a cinematic ideal ideal of what ideal soulmate should be. And so it makes sense, I guess, 
that it's kind of a critics film, but again, I I do think it has been overvalued in recent years. I wonder how much of that is kind of what we mentioned at the beginning, that this is in a way it might be one of the more personal films that Hitchcock made in terms of almost putting on screen his maybe then secret but now fairly obvious obsession with his leading ladies and basically kind of working through his own shit by having the main character of his movie work through that same problem. Um, I, I just wonder – I wonder if there's a little insider baseball with that. You yeah, know, like, well, like and in, how much of that do we need? How much of that personal insight? It's the same problem I have with Tarantino films and only in a more physical sense is Tarantino's obsession with feet. Well, yeah, but yeah, I think that's a I, it's, it's not the same. Well, what I was going to say was more like like with Citizen Kane, like there's so much more of that of of Orson Welles kind of making a direct comparison to William Randolph Hearst and and sort of the you know this young young brat basically coming up and making his first feature and kind of an indictment of him and how much and not not just that it was a phenomenal movie and it you know groundbreaking in its narrative and all of that but also you know the way that he had to basically like it it, it got over it got squashed because of of Hearst's influence but now times passed it's like oh what this little movie that could you know, overcame all of this, um, this bad press, and and is now this iconic film. You know, and, the number one movie ever made. And yeah, and what I wonder is, do we call it the greatest film of all time because of the struggle behind it? Like, how much of that is? Would we still value Citizen Kane without all the bullshit that went with it? In the yeah. same way, would we still value Vertigo if Sight and Sound hadn't decided to, to pull a switcheroo, essentially, and yeah. throw it at the top of that list and make people go back and revisit it and go, well, were we missing something? You know, and, and, and you know, I feel like luckily for me, you know, I, I've, we probably, I think we've referenced this on other Hitchcock episodes, but my wife, you know, years ago got me that Velvet DVD collection, the Hitchcock set, and when, when, he, when we got it, we I think the next night started. We went chronologically the way that they're in there, so we we just went through all of them. And I at that point, to be perfectly honest, I think I might have seen Psycho, and that and that was it. That was my Hitchcock, you know, at the age of like twenty, I think that was the only one I'd ever seen. And so when I got to Vertigo, I, I loved it then, not not knowing of any of this, right? But then again, I'm not on Sight and Sounds board. I'm not on the AFI board. I don't get to to make that decision. Now I find it more interesting doing the work and doing the research and kind of realizing what this movie could could possibly be about, you know, for in regards to Hitchcock. And I think that's a great question of how does the the extenuating circumstances influence the way we look at a film. I think that's I mean, and I and I think in another way, Apocalypse Now is a great example. Oh no, that's you know perfect example. I mean, the shit that got that they had to go through to make that movie. I mean, is it a good movie? Sh- sure, it is. But how much more do we try to appreciate it, knowing the basically the hell on earth that they they went through to make it? It yeah. It, I mean, it's all and they're all relevant. You can't if you know it, you can't unknow it when you watch it. Yeah, no, I'd be I'd be far more interested in. I would I would love some fresh. Some fresh takes, you know, get, getting some some younger people who don't have any of this film history and just showing it to them blindly. Yeah. So let's so we so we've we've talked a lot about the movie. Let's hit up some of the things that we normally talk about. So, do you have a favorite shot? Well, it's got to be the 
Oh, I you I, I can't say it's got to be, but we didn't mention the iconic the, dolly in zoom out, the vertigo effect, the yeah. vertigo effect. I yeah. mean, and how I mean, it's used in so much now. Yeah, and what a pain in the ass apparently it was to get that, and now it seems like the most simple thing. Yeah, just to dolly in and zoom out. It's so funny because Melissa and um, we we both seen this movie only just once before, and. Uh, and I love watching movies with her because she she doesn't remember the plots like I do, and so she didn't know exactly what was coming. And the first time she saw the the vertigo effect, not when he's hanging, but with the stairs, at one point she goes, "I can't look at that." She goes, "That's that's hard to look at." I was like, yeah, "That right? That's, that's the point. That's amazing. Isn't that that, great? that's amazing that that's that that's the kind of effect it can have? I think that's that's awesome. I think I I, I it's not my favorite shot, but I you can't not talk about it. I mean, it is. I, and maybe maybe I should say my favorite sequence. Because when I first saw this movie, it blew me away. It's his, it's his vertigo nightmare. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I loved it, man. I, I think it is a direct response to somebody like Clouseau and sort of the avant-garde filmmaking in Europe at the time. I think it's him having his stab at that. Yeah. I, Whether it works or not, I'm not so sure. It's very interesting. It's unlike anything else in any other Hitchcock film and unlike anything else in mainstream cinema at the time. So I think, and I think why I loved it so much was because we, I, 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 my memory serves me correctly. We watched like a Hitchcock film a night when I got that set. And so at that point, I think we probably watched eight or nine Hitchcock movies before that. Some of them in black and white, some of them in color. We get to Vertigo. And that moment happens, and, and at that point, I'm already in the movie. But then we get to that dream, and I was like, "What the? <laughs> what was that?" But I was, I was, I wasn't confused. I wasn't confused like I was the first time I saw 2001, and we just get the color spectrum for like 15 minutes. This was shorter, and I was with the character a little more, so I, I felt like I, I understood the headspace, and I just, just like, wow, that was. I, yeah, I well, was I don't, all I don't, on board. Just to be clear, I don't hate it. No, 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 and I, and I. But I it's just, just it, it it's nuts. Yeah. Like what is this doing in here? Yeah. But it is it is effective because it in a way it is very uh it's very legitimate. That is the way we dream in those that that sort of surrealistic nature of it. At least I do anyway. Yeah. It it struck me as being, okay, this is this is legitimately how I dream. It's it's these these flashy images and it's very it's it's quick cutting and it's it's all over the place and it doesn't make any sense and there's, you know, the 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 head, just this floating head. Not that I've had floating heads in my dreams, but I—it's something that I could see myself dreaming about. Yeah, it—it it, just—it made sense to me. Yeah. But it also—it—it it feels like it's out of a different movie. Yeah. So do you, so besides the vertigo effect, do you, I mean, do you have like a favorite shot or a favorite moment? It's uh, it's her in the in the flowers. It's her standing out amongst all the flowers. Yeah. Like I said, just Hitch, just being his playful. It's a good one. That that yeah. playful nature in it, and it, and it, that also to. To go straight to unsung hero as well. It's Robert Burks. Okay. Cinema. I mean, he was he was the guy that Hitch collaborated with him. I think they did eleven films yes, together. Yes. And I mean, this is just them. So opening the toolbox and playing with absolutely everything they have. So I can't remember specifically, but I I want to say, I I. No, I went with I went with an, an actor in Strangers on a Train, um, and I definitely went with Saul Bass before. But I, I, I again, I always love when we can. Like when we can reference an unsung hero who we haven't quite referenced yet. Mine, to help with the iconicness of of the character, is Edith Head and uh, her costume design, especially for Kim Novak. I mean, the gray suit, the green dress, man. It, 
uh, up there. I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, different for different people, but I mean, top top fifty looks ever in a film. I mean, it's oh definitely they're, they're no just doubt about so that. iconic, and she wears them so well, and it's it's also indicative of the character now. I mean, you, it's like I can't not think of of Kim Novak in this movie and not see one of those two. Yeah. Um, I, well, yeah. I think it's a testament that everything production wise was working so well on I and I obviously I don't know it, it may have been hell on earth shooting this film sure. but the way it comes out on screen it just looks like everything was so flawlessly executed the sets are just incredible and that that dining room the red yeah. and that dining it's stunning well and and I wanted to again call back to something I pointed out in North by Northwest that again in this was so it was so great was the going from the rear projection to the live to the on set it, it just was they cut it so well. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's there's only a moment or two that it, is distracting. Yeah, other, it's it's pretty goddamn it's, good. It's really good. Um, so we so we did unsung. I skipped your favorite shot though. Sorry, no, I went no, straight you, to my was, unsung hero. Well, my favorite. My, it's it's the Vertigo Dream effect. Okay. Yeah, it's that yeah. that sequence is my my favorite. I also really enjoy the the short little jaunt out to the redwoods. Yeah, and her line where they see the cross section of the tree, and this is where this was my first exposure to Vertigo. That scene is in uh, 12 monkeys oh yeah that's when they're in the theater at the end or towards the end and they're getting all made up in their disguises before they head to the airport that's the film they're watching and he talks about having a memory of it and it's very poignant because of course she has the line there i was born and there i died you never saw me yeah which of course plays into 12 monkeys really really well yeah um, and then I didn't know. Do you, do you have a favorite line or any? Was there any bits of the dialogue that stood out to you? Oh, it's that. It's that redwood. Scene. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. The, there I was born, and there I died. Um, I, I had a couple. So the one that I, there was a kind of a, a funny one, but but painfully funny. And it's when it's it's early on. It's when Jimmy Stewart asks Midge, asks Midge, "How's your love life?" And it's just again, again, you don't know that this woman is in love with you, and but just the cal the the, the, the callow way in which he just like asks it um another one that does it's kind of like hasn't aged well but maybe has was when uh, uh the bookkeeper or the 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 guy who runs the argosy bookstore is talking about carlotta and how her husband basically threw her away and kept the child and he says a guy could do that back then and again it's like well i feel like if you're rich and white and powerful enough now you could probably still unfortunately do that um, but the, the line that really stands out to me and it's such a simple line, but it, it's so, it's so indicative of this script is from, um, it's when, it's when Kim Novak is Judy and she says, if I do it, will you love me in terms of will, if changing herself? Oh no, that, that is the line that sums up the entire film. Yeah. You know, the, the whole film is in that line. And it's, 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 it's rare to have, maybe no, it's not rare, but like when it, when it works so well and it sums up pretty much everything. It's hard to not mention. I, I just like, man, that's just so. Well, as a little anecdote, while I'm thinking about Judy, uh, Liz being from Kansas, Judy mentions that she's from somewhere in Kansas. She's got her license. Yep. Liz got enraged that she mispronounces the name of the town <laughs> that she's from. She's like, no, it's I, and I can't remember what it is, but she's like, no, it's pronounced this way. Do you ever get that way with with some of the the um, Native American names of cities here in, in, in Washington that people can't pronounce the right way? Like, uh, like what? Like Macatillo or? No, so the, I, had, I had a teacher in college who could not say, she didn't know, she didn't know how to say Puyallup. She said Puyallup. Oh boy. And I was like, Ooh, you're not no. from here, are you? <laughs> nope. That's okay. That's okay. And everybody in the class just kind of went, Oh no. One of you. 
<laughs> Anyways, that's not important. No. Um, what's uh, what was uh, what was my other? Oh, as far as as good lines, I like the uh, in the tribunal. Gavin's little thing. Oh no, he shouldn't have talked to you that way. You know, with with everything else that's going on, with everything that he knows and what he's done, just that little nah, he shouldn't have talked to you that way. There's just something. Uh, I don't know. There's something really good about his delivery because like, they're calling out Jimmy Stewart's cowardice. Yes. And not being able to save Madeline. But I, I don't know. I just, I liked that. There's, it's not venomous, but no, there's, it, a, it, and it, it's so there's a nastiness about it. Man, I, it's so, I, I think that's why I like, I like the way that Gavin has played the whole time. We don't see the mustache twirling. I think that's what makes it more. Well, that's really his only moment of mustache twirling. Yeah. But but it's so not it's like but you could also just go wait is he is he is he being serious yeah yeah absolutely but it's yeah I yeah I yeah well I tell you what, as we sit here and talk it's still top five still unchanged but I am appreciating Vertigo more now that I've had a chance to discuss it yeah it's like my my appreciation for it is is coming around and I think I'm starting to overlook some of my nitpicks not you know, all of them but and some sure of them. and and it'll be it'll be interesting again when I rewatch. Um, not Psycho, because I've seen that one a couple times, but like watching Rear Window again, whenever we, whenever that, that time comes about, it'll be – my five probably won't change what they are, but the the order might. And uh, it, it'll be curious to see because the more I think about North by Northwest, it, it's it's like edging up. And I'm like – but it's like I don't want to let go of Vertigo for whatever reason. Yeah, I don't well, know. That's, selfishly, that's why we do this. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're helping we're, – we're building each other's appreciation. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. So, Ian. Yes. Do you think that Vertigo should be in the book? I do. Okay. I do, too. I do, too. And, and, and uh, you know, and, yeah, it's... For it's, all the, the great reasons we've just detailed. Yeah. And, and, it's not and a, it's not a perfect movie. Oh, um, no. Not at all. And, uh, and, 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 again, as we've discussed, there are things that we would probably change about the way that it was made, but it doesn't negate all of the brilliant parts of it. And just, again, I really have to hammer home, this is Hitch's most beautiful film, but... End of story. I, There's I, nothing else of his that is this lush, excuse me, lush and sort of lavish and just tangible. You feel like you could almost reach out and be a part of it. I agree. And, yeah. and shooting in Vista, I love the the way they call out Vista Vision. Vista Vision. Vista Very important. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, well, that's and that's what we think of Vertigo. And of course, as always, we want to know what you think. So please uh, find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Let us know what you think of Vertigo. If you think it's aged well, do you think the sort of um, the 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 you know, re-examination of this movie is is uh, is correct if it should be as highly praised as it is. Um, and again, as we always do with so many Hitchcock films, let us know what some of your favorite hitches are. Um, we didn't do the top five today, so we really just focused on Vertigo. Um, but please, you know, so find us on Facebook and on Twitter. You can listen to us on iTunes and Google Play and Spotify. Please like us, rate us, review us, comment, subscribe, all those great things. Um, we are looking forward to giving you some, some more films soon. So until then... My name is Adam. My name is Ian. And we will see you next week. Bye.